the city of Nineveh, the place the prophet Jonah was called to, is an ancient place. It was at one time the largest city in the world, and it had a rich history long before even the time of Abraham. And later, it was in the ruins of the palace of King Ashurbanipal, the great Assyrian ruler, that the fragments of clay tablets containing the epic of Gilgamesh were discovered. The first recorded story that we know about that contains a version of the story of the Great Flood. Could there have been the same story outside of and before the composition of the Hebrew Bible? When George Smith, the impoverished high school dropout, print shop compositor, and self-taught genius in reading Mesopotamian cuneiform, delivered his findings to the public this idea that the same story could have existed long before the writing of the Bible was so alarming that the British Library invited the Prime Minister of Britain to be present at that meeting and to thereby reassure the public that even if a story from the Bible had existed before, it was okay and the Bible was still good. <laughs> this was perhaps the beginning of the advance of the critical study of the Bible and understanding the history of that region. And scientific advance in no way diminishes the recognition that the Bible is the Word of God, it becomes the Word of God when it speaks to us in our particular pain, our misgivings, our doubts, and our questions. And so the backdrop of human history continues to reveal the mysterious ways in which God has acted outside of the narrow understanding that we might have from our own experiences. What may be going wrong in your life right now is no different from the experience of humanity over all these time periods and God seeks to address our concerns with a reordering for us of what is right and proper. This city of Nineveh is a city known to us by its modern name. It is the city of Mosul, Saddam Hussein's second largest city, the site of a large university, and perhaps an example of the limits of our human capacity to make the world a better place through the use of force. <clears throat> this city contained the tomb of the prophet Yunus, or as we know him, Jonah. 
and his tomb was a center of pilgrimage until it was blown up by ISIS. Jonah, in many ways, represents us. He is called, but he rejects his calling, and finally accepts it with reluctance. And then, after he preaches and delivers the message, he is outraged that the outcome God promised is not going to be delivered. And so in keeping with what happens when we do not get what we expect, he asks to have his life taken, unable to suffer reputational damage and his desire to maintain prophetic integrity, even if collateral damage from divine wrath took the lives of the innocent. And so God has to have him sit in the heat outside the city. The plant grows over him and then is quickly removed. And the heat there easily goes to 110 degrees while Jonah sits feeling sorry for himself. And God teaches him this lesson. You are concerned about this plant for which you did not labor, should I not be concerned for this city in which there are more than 120,000 persons and also many animals. The cost of human resentment is high. We would rather be right and allow people to suffer than be forgiving. We have the shocking modern political example narrated by the late diplomat Richard Holbrook, who reveals that at the Paris Peace Accords, or the, the talks for the hopeful peace treaty during the Vietnam War, the administration decided that accepting peace would make the United States look weak. And so the war was prolonged for a few more years at the cost of many more thousands of lives and thousands more wounded. And now we come to the example of the workers in the vineyard. What was it like to live in Roman times under Herod who had embarked on an ambitious building program the conquest of all the peoples around the Mediterranean meant that there was an oversupply of labor. To be alive then was to lose one's livelihood, to be squeezed by taxation, to not know what the morrow would bring. It was to be hungry, to not see much of a future, and to wonder why life was so hard. People in our country and across the world, people who are poor are very familiar with these conditions and this situation. To make it through another day seems to be a sufficient plan. And the only thing available is hope. The teaching of Jesus through parables bring us, brings us to the stark contrast between the kingdom of heaven and the ways of the world. The parables are radical. They are the gospel. They seek to overturn the apparent security that the world offers. 
and instead reveal what happens when the kingdom of God is inaugurated and we live in it. In this parable, the scene is bleak. The sight of workers waiting in the marketplace to be hired, the lucky ones going first and then the last group still waiting at the end of the day, hoping that somebody would come along to offer them employment. And the landowner does. He employs them as well. <clears throat> and so we see that Jesus is conveying to his listeners that the kingdom of heaven is not an improved version of life as we know it. It is a radically different way of life that requires a radical reimagining of what our purpose and what our resources uh, are and how they might be used in very different ways. We need to give up what we desire in order to allow imagining God's rule to take place. The idea of justice being paid for what you do is a very American idea. We know all about fairness. We know how to navigate a four-way stop. We know how to line up and we are infuriated when people break the rules. But the surprise here that Jesus brings to his listeners is that that last group of people who worked for barely an hour are paid the same, and not only that, they are paid first. It doesn't make sense. You have to pay what a person deserves and not a penny more. But in the kingdom, virtue consists of giving what is not due because of the mediation of grace. In our own lives, even if we claim that we deserve everything that we work so hard for, we know that without those many people who gave us opportunities, we could not have thrived. And how is God's grace mediated except through other people who are moved to act in ways that go beyond fairness? But is this really feasible? Well, in 2015, the CEO of Gravity Payments in Seattle, Dan Price, went on a hike with some of his employees. He ran a successful company with his brother that had to do with online payments. And he paid himself a salary of $1.1 million and his employees were paid according to their qualifications and position in the company, the same as anybody else. And then on this hike, he happened to be talking. He got into a conversation with one of his employees who had returned from the military, and she told him that the salary he was paying of about $45,000 
had brought her to a level of poverty that was unsustainable. She had expensive car repairs, she could barely make the rent, and she didn't know what to do. She was at her wit's end. This so impressed Dan that after weeks of soul-searching, he decided to act in a radical manner. He decided that all employees, based on his research, he found that a salary of $70,000 would enable a person to live a decent life. And so he raised everybody's salary who was not making that money to 70000 and he lowered his own to 70000 Immediately, he received tons of hate mail from other CEOs who said, what are you doing? You are destroying the labor market. You're making it hard for us. Please stop. But he continued, and, the, and he was featured prominently in the press. He is by no means a perfect person, but he saw that the gratitude and the motivation of his employees vastly increased. His business thrived. He got many more orders than he had ever imagined before. And so the company continues to be one of the very successful companies. That is one example, but we are brought to this realization that we too need to be mediators of God's grace within the potential and possibilities open to us, that it is through us that God's grace will be felt and experienced by the people with whom we come in contact. Living in Christ in the kingdom is to live without fear and thus living without fear we can transcend the pettiness of our own preoccupied lives because we are set free in Christ. Amen.